I'm incredibly excited to be with you all today. Um, I think there are, one of the, there's this quote that I read maybe 15 years ago um, that was really significant in the way that I think about um, what the local church is called to do. Um, and, and it's by a guy named Dallas Willard, and he says this, every church needs to be able to answer two questions. What's our plan for making disciples? Does our plan work? Um, I think right now in the United States, we are experiencing a discipleship crisis. Um, if, you were, if I were to just like stop right now, and I was like, all right, pick up your phone, find your favorite social media platform, spend two minutes on it. I think what you would find is that social media is on fire right now uh, with people who claim to be Christians whose lives do not even closely resemble Jesus's. There's, there's, a, there's a promise that the gospel is making um, that w- when we say yes to Jesus and as we give our lives to Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus, and the, we spend the rest of our life with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit working through us, that our lives will change. That is the promise that the gospel is making, that your broken, fractured life and the things that control you, you can experience freedom from and your life can be put back together. That is not what is increasingly normal for people who are American Christians. And I, I think one of the things that I am so um, excited about and feel, feel so convicted about in working with this leadership team um, is that is not going to be true here. Uh, and by the grace of God, I think you are going to experience something in the next 18 to 24 months um, that is going to be unlike what you might have experienced in a local church before. Um, that's what we, at the very least, that's what we're praying for. We can't make that happen. Only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. But our sense is that that, that is what God is up to. Um, we are going to be, in, in this series, we're look, walking through some of the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 130 today. And so I want to invite you, if you are physically able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Psalm 130. I believe it will also be on the screen. So this is what the psalmist writes. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. You can be seated. I mean, this is the question we want to ask today. Uh, When you're in the pit, how do you get out? When you're in the pit, how do you get out? And and this is sort of how I'm going to walk through uh, our time today. I I just want to very quickly, um, we're going to break up the text into three chunks, and we're going to look through some of the things to maybe unpack it and understand the text itself a little bit more. Then I want to share a little bit about my story um, and one of the times where like, I have found myself in the pit and what that experience has been like. And then finally, we just want to say, like, all right, we're in the pit, or maybe we know someone who is in the pit. What does it look like to get out? What's the ladder out? 
Um, and I think as we unpack the psalm, we're going to see a little bit more of that. But, but I think it's, it's, it is important for us to, to, to remind ourselves um, when, we're, when we're here together and we're, we're listening to the, the preached word, um, it can sometimes, like our experience can be, there's me up here, there's you there, and your job is passive and my job is active. Um, and th- you can hear sometimes these conversations uh, when, when you walk out to the parking lot and maybe you're like, I'm, I'm having these conversations with my family as well. I was like, how do you think the, uh, how'd the band do today? And it's like, well, that one note, I don't know, like they really flubbed that thing. And the, the, the preacher was doing a pretty good job. And then he hit minute one hour and three and I was just done. Um, and, and we can have like an evaluative approach to what it is that's happening here. Uh, but this is what we believe, um, that when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. And so our question is not, how am I doing? Look, I hope I give the best sermon of my life in the next few minutes. Maybe that's going to happen. Johnny doesn't think that it's going to, but I think that it could. But that doesn't matter. This is the, these are the things that we want to engage with. What is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? Like, that's, those are the conversations that I'm, that I'm hoping and praying will fill your afternoon as, as you walk out of here. So with that in mind, let's, let's just let's pause and let's pray and ask for the receiving of what God wants to share today. So Lord Jesus, once again, we, we just stop, we pray. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each heart and in us as a people. Lord, if there, there are things that I say that are not from you, they're not pointing to you, would you blow them away like chaff? Lord, would you be the focus of our, our, our time together today? Would you speak to your people, and would you give us the power that only you have to help us respond? In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Amen. All right, so very quickly, I just want to break down the text. We're going to look at three different chunks, so let's just start at the very beginning Verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So just one thing that is helpful, there are a number of people who are writing what are called the Psalms. And when there are some of the writers that use the word the depths, and there are some writers who use the word the pit. In the Psalms, they're the same. And so I, I'm using really the idea of the pit because I think that helps us get at something that the Psalm is trying to point to. Um, because the, the pit is this feeling that like, I can't get out of this thing. I am stuck. I have tried everything. There is darkness. There is loss. I'm exhausted. I'm at the utter edges of myself and everything that I have tried has not worked. I'm stuck. And I feel separated, and I don't know what to do anymore. I've exhausted everything I can think of and all the energy that I have. And so that's where this psalm is coming from. This thing is called a, what's called a captivity psalm. And what that means is that this is written by someone in a time period for the people of Israel where sort of like the infamous empire of Babylon has come in, destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem, torn down the walls, lit everything on fire, killed thousands of people, 
and then took the best and the brightest and brought them to Babylon. And so you have a whole country and nation that is broken and fractured. And the the fascinating thing about this psalm is we don't exactly know who wrote it, but we have a sense of kind of like when it was written. It was almost certainly written by someone who wasn't alive when that happened. That's what, what, what it means is this. They were born in Babylon. This person is writing about being in the pit, and it wasn't their sin that put them there. It was their parents. So this is a really important thing to understand about the pit. Sometimes it's our own sin. It's our own really warped sense of decision-making that just like careens us into the pit, right? But sometimes it's just life. Like this person didn't choose to be born at this moment in history when their parents had made all of these different decisions. They just found themselves stuck and not able to get out. One of the things that's important to understand about the pit, and this is, this is if, if you've walked with Jesus for a while, you know this. This is not a one-time-only thing. If you've been in the pit before, or if you're in the pit now, if you're in the pit now, this is probably really discouraging to hear, uh, you will get out, but you will probably find yourself there again. And so we're, we'll talk about that a little But I think it's helpful for us to understand that sometimes we might interpret, I'm in the pit, I feel at the end of myself, I don't know what to do, it's like, I'm the problem. Sometimes you are the problem. Legitimately. Like, sometimes, like, look in the mirror and be like, self, you're the problem. But other times, we live in this broken, fractured, fallen world, and it puts us there. And the consequences of other people's choices puts us there. When someone dies... It puts us there. But we're not going to have to stay there. That is, I think, a a good place to start. The the last thing to say about these first couple of verses is you you have this writer who's talking about, like, like from my soul, like, I am crying out to God for help. It's, It's helpful for us to remember, I think, that we are not, that there is something very different about us versus this writer. We are in the other side of the resurrection. And so that means that if you were found in Jesus Christ and you spent some time in, the, in Romans 8 a few years ago, the, Paul puts it this way. He's like, look, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive. It is beating. It is inside of you. And there are going to be times where you know that you desperately need help, where you're desperately reaching out to God, and you still will not know how to pray. But God's spirit, who is inside of you, will almost erupt out of you and will do the praying for you. Even when you can't give words to it, God is still working on your behalf. And the connectivity of God's spirit in you, we we see in, in a couple of verses later in Romans 8, God right now is interceding for you. So God's spirit is in you, and Jesus is interceding at the right hand of God right now. So when we cry out with all of our being, I am stuck, I'm at the end of myself, I don't know what to do, even when I don't have the words to put to how I'm feeling, God is helping us. Let's keep reading. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. 
more than the watchman for the morning, where it says, like, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I put my hope. That, that word that he's talking about, it's not talking about the Bible. It's not talking about scriptures. When, when, the, when the people who were conquered and go to Babylon, when that is happening, there's a promise that God makes, and it, it, it's roughly, I mean, this is me talking, not quoting, I'm going to come get you. I will rescue you. You're going to come home. And so what the psalmist is saying is the word, the, the hope that they're putting is in that word, that God is actually going to come through. But there's this other thing where it talks about like how, how I am waiting for like the watchman in the morning. Like what is, like who's looking for the morning? What, what are we talking about here? In these ancient cities, oftentimes when, when, a, when an invading army would come, they would do these sneak attacks at night. And so they would put all of these different people on top of the city walls, and their whole job for 12 hours was this, stare out into the darkness and see if anyone's coming. And it's awful. Like, you cannot see anything. And your whole job is to be anxious. That's, that's their job. Their job is to, like, please don't come, please don't come, please don't come, please don't come. I need the light of the morning. I need dawn. Something has to break there it is, first light, we made it through another night. And you know that if like, you're looking at a boiling pot that has an egg in it, and if you stare at it, it can feel like that egg is never, ever going to boil. And that's what we're talking about here. It's like, I'm waiting for God to actually follow through on what he said he was going to do. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I feel almost the dread and the anxiety. When is the light going to come? That is what it is like when we're in the pit. We're clinging to the hope that something could change while at the same time being like, is the light ever, ever, ever going to show up? Let's keep reading. Our last chunk. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I think what this really is getting at is despite the complete mess that they find themselves in, their hope is not in their own strength. When you're in the pit, this is where you get to. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I've tried everything to get out of this. Nothing has worked. I've been told to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm still here. Any emotional whatever that I'm supposed to use, it's gone. I'm numb. There's only darkness. It's awful. It's a mess. And we get to this point in the, in the text where it's like, the only thing that can save me is God. That's it. There, there is nothing else that can get me out. And I, and I think as we start to turn, I'm going to share a little bit of my story the thing that, that we, we, it's really important for us to see in like the way that God rescues us, not every time, but often, he uses other people. He uses other people, not as people who are going to be the perfect representations of Jesus, but people who can be the living representations of Jesus. So I, I mentioned that there are different experiences that we have in the pit. Um, sometimes it's like this, this, we oftentimes think about like when we've completely wrecked our lives and where Jesus finds us for the first time, we find ourselves in the pit, but we keep, 
We keep coming back. I want, to, I want to share one of those experiences with you. I'm going to reference some of the other ones in just a few minutes. Uh, but, but I want to share like that, the, the first significant one that I had. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian household, um, but by the age of 23, um, I was an atheist. So about almost growing up on four years of, of being an atheist. Um, and I had managed to train wreck my life. If you could torch it, I had burned it to the ground. Every relationship, gone. Uh, Everything that was worth anything, gone. It was torched. If you could be addicted to it, whether that was drugs, whether that was alcohol, whether that was pornography, whether that was hooking up with women, whatever it was, I was doing it. I was completely a slave to every appetite there was. Not every, but like, I I was a slave to this. Um, I used my friends to get anything and everything that I wanted in the moment so that I didn't have any friends left. Um, And because I was so driven by impulses and terrible decision-making, not because I thought this was smart, but I didn't care if it was stupid, like I spent and spent and spent and spent and spent. So as a 23-year-old, I had $51,000 in credit card debt. And I had not paid a single, I saw that look, yeah, I know, it's not good, It gets worse. I had not paid a single bill in 18 months. Now, there's this funny thing called credit, where if you owe a lot of money and you haven't paid any creditors back for a while, they don't want to extend credit for you to do things like rent an apartment. So before living with your parents was in vogue and cool, I find myself as a 23-year-old back in the room that I grew up in, renting the room from my parents, who didn't want me there, but there was nowhere else to go. No friends would have me. No place was going to rent me an apartment. I, like, I had completely torched my life. And I, tr- I, I had honestly tried to change things in myself, and it was not happening. Um, while I was at home, my sister, my younger sister, she had, she had left but over, um, she, she had taken a stray cat. Now, I think there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who rightly love dogs, and there are people who like cats. And I am not a cat person. Like, I just, it doesn't matter. I don't love cats. They don't typically love me. And I married a woman who is deathly allergic to them, so praise be. <laughs> but my sister had adopted this stray cat named Pepper, And in this time where I had no relationships, no one that would talk to me because I had so screwed everyone over, the only thing that I had that had a beating heart that wanted to be around me was this stupid cat. (laughs) Pepper the cat. Terrible name. And I grew really attached to this cat. I, I taught Pepper how to act like a dog, as every cat owner should. Um, and we found out that, that, that Pepper was dying. Uh, we take, we'd take Pepper into the vet, and the, the doctor's like, we can, we can elongate Pepper's life, but there's going to be a time where you're going to you're gonna have to bring the cat in, and we're going to have to put the cat to sleep. Um, so we get some medicine. Pepper has some time where she's feeling better, good for her. Um, but the, the doctor said, like, look, there are going to be three things that happen. When the third thing happens, you need to bring the cat in. 
we're going to have to put the cat to sleep. Uh, so pe- Pepper like kind of upticks just a little, a couple weeks, uh, and then her kidneys start to shut down. Uh, it starts to lose lots of fur. It's vomiting all the time. Um, it's starting to like go, go blind. I mean, like it's all, all, the, all the stuff, not good. And uh, we, we get to the point where the third thing happens. And so we set up a time to take, the, to take Pepper to the vet to put her down. And originally, my mom was going to take the cat. She had something that comes up and said, I'm the only one to take the cat in. Now, it is important to mention the cat has now become a metaphor for my life. Sickly, dying, and needing to be put out. But this cat is the only like tie that I have to anything good in my life. And so now it's become a metaphor for like, this is where my entire life is heading. Death. I don't mean like, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of like suicide at all. So I didn't mean suicide, but just like, there was no hope. And now I'm being asked to kill the cat. So I, I pray the first prayer that I've prayed in three and a half years, the night before I'm supposed to take the, the cat in. And it's this, God, and I'm giving you the clean version. God, will you just kill this cat so I don't have to? Then I go upstairs and I go to sleep. I come down the next morning and the cat is dead. And I don't know how to explain it, but in the room there erupted this like, powerful force that felt like a hand that flattened me to the ground and held me there. And I was overwhelmed from head to toe with thankfulness that I didn't have to kill the cat. And it was, I, it was this, one of the most profound spiritual experiences I've ever had, that God, in saving me from killing this poor animal, was in some way showing, like, I've not forgotten you. There are a lot of different strands that God is weaving together over a six-week period in my life. One of the, one of the strands um, is, word had kind of gotten around how much of a mess of things I had made. And so this um, young hip pastor, uh, he comes and reaches out, and he's like, I, I hear you're in a tough spot. And I'm like, one might say that. And he's like, well, do you want to meet? And I was like, I really don't want to meet with you. That sounds like the last thing in the world that I would want to do. But I was really angry, and I had a lot of bile and bitterness, and I was like, do you know what sounds like fun? Eviscerating a pastor right now. Um, I'm an atheist, you are not. Let's have some fun. Let's dance, shall we? And so we go to the steak and ale at I-64 and Broad Street uh, outside Richmond, Virginia. And uh, we sit down, and they bring the bread service, really nice. And out of nowhere, I just start to, like, tell him every horrible thing that I've done for the last 10 years. And we're meeting for, like, an hour and 15 minutes, and I just, like, vomit all over him, like, verbally, not literally. In the first weekends, he doesn't really say much. And he's like, do you want to do this again? And I'm like, yes. So I come back for week two, vomit. Week three, vomit. Going. Week four, week five. We finally get to week six. And I've, I've now officially concluded, like, the litany of all the things that have, are, are, have been so defining for me as, like, 
things that have erupted out of me that I have no control over. And he's just like sat there. Um, and there have been times where I've said really horrible things to him. He just sits there. And at the end of where I, where I finally like slumped back in the chair and was like, I think that's it. And he just, he looks at me and he just says this. Yeah, there's grace for that too. Now, I, I'm not going to give you the rest of the story, but I think hopefully you've pieced together that like I've, I finally did come to faith. Otherwise, Johnny made a very poor decision today. <laughs> um, that, that was my first real experience in the pit. It has not been my last. And we'll, we'll talk about a, a couple of, of those in, in just a second. But what I think I want to do is I want to unpack what we do when we find ourselves in the pit. Like, how do, how do people get out of it? Like, what is my story in Psalm 130? How does that help us understand how to get out of it? And even, even going a step further than that, I have a sneaking suspicion that there are many of us here today who have people we deeply care for who find themselves in that spot. What do we do? How do we handle that? What does it look like to partner with what Jesus is already doing and join him in his work? And so I think there are three things that I want to hit when we think about what does it look like to get out of the pit. The first thing that we need to do is we need to give people vision. We need to give people vision. So if you look at verse 8 and verse 9, it talks about how like in the Lord there is plentiful redemption. And he's going to redeem Israel from all of Israel's iniquities. This is really, really key to us understanding that In Genesis chapter 1, God had a plan, and he's never given up on his plan. Never. And what what we also need to do is what Paul does in Ephesians is he takes that idea and he attaches it to your life. And he says this, before the creation of time itself, there is a picture in God's mind of you and your life, and these good works that you were going to do, that no one before you and no one after you could do, only you could do it. What if you could be that person again? What if God could take all of the broken pieces, the fracturedness, the things that own you, control you, and through the power of the Spirit, put you back together? People have to be reminded of the vision that God has for their life that there is more than the darkness. Because there's this funny thing about the pit. When you are in it for long enough, you set up camp. You're like, well, if I've got to be here, you know what sounds good? A lazy boy recliner. I might as well be comfortable. Let's get the mini fridge. We're going to put it right next to it. Maybe I'll even give a lamp. Okay, the lamp doesn't even work in the pit. But here we find ourselves just making ourselves comfortable here. People have to be reminded because they have lost hope and sight that it can be different. And so when you are walking with someone and as Jesus is partnering with them, getting them out, they have to be reminded that it's not always going to be this way because they can't see it. And so what happens is we have to see that vision for them. And over time, that spiritual confidence that you have starts to pass to them. The second thing that we need, the first one is vision. The second thing that we need is time. We need time. It talks in verse 6 about the watchman in the morning. This idea that it can feel like forever 
when you are waiting for dawn to break. Sometimes we're in the pit for a couple of days, sometimes a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months. Sometimes it can literally be years. And what I needed more than anything else was a watchman who would sit with me. I did not need Scott Marshall to give me stupid pastoral cliches. What I needed was someone who was like, and if I just have to sit here and you're just going to vomit on me and say pretty awful things about me, someone, and you don't even know me, I'll do it anyway. Because the thing about the pit that we don't understand is we are getting the worst of people and they do really stupid things. They say really hurtful things. It's like when someone loses an arm, they're going to the emergency room and they're screaming out obscenities. They're saying horrible things to you. You're not getting them at their best, right? That's what people are like when they're in the pit. You are not at your best when you're in the pit. And the people you love who find themselves there aren't at their best. But what they need is for you, as Jesus is working through you, for you to be at your best when they are at their worst. And a crucial part of that is time. They need, you need time. Where it's okay, like the fact that you are here, they have to believe that even though they are there, you love them. Even though they said that thing to you, you're not going away. The last thing, if the first is vision, the second is time. The last thing they need is grace. They need grace. Verse 7 talks about God's steadfast love. What people need to know when they're in the pit is that God does not love them any less because they're there. He's also not going to love them anymore when they get out of there. What, what we need to do when we are in the pit is we need to be receivers of God's grace. We need that Scott Marshall across the table who will just look at them and be like, yeah, all right, there's grace for that. And some of us today, we need to be the receivers of that grace. But some of us, like Paul talks about in Colossians, we need to be people who, as God's grace is working in us, it then wants to work through us. And we need to not just be grace receivers, but the grace givers. As God is partnering with us to get this person out. You know, there's a, there's a funny thing that happens when you're in the pit. And I, I've been in there a couple of times uh, since becoming a Christian. And the same thing has happened every single time. There's this experience with the stupid cat, Pepper the cat. Um, I became a, a pastor. I was a, a teaching pastor uh, at a large church for a while. And we were planting, a, getting ready to plant a church. My wife was eight months pregnant. And we're having a conversation, uh, about to have our first kid, about to plant a church. We're just having a real honest conversation about where we're at and some things. And she says this, look, I'm not trying to hurt you, but the longer I have been with you, the further away from God I feel. And she wasn't being mean. She was being, like, she was being very honest in a loving way about where we were and where I was. Now, that's just not what you want to hear as a father or soon-to-be father. It's not what you want to hear as a husband. It's not what you want to hear as you were about to plant a church and as you've been a pastor for five years. None of these are things that you want to hear. And it threw me into the pit. And out of that place, 
I cried out to God again, and again, God came. In 2013, we... Uh, this had nothing to do with like necessarily our decisions. We were we were part of a a, a community that was working with uh, churches, and the, the leader that we were working with uh, was was incredibly spiritually abusive. Um, had a narcissistic personality disorder, uh, and deeply immoral. Uh, and it got so bad that we we just we quit. Um, neither of us had a job. We had two kids. She was pregnant with our, with our third, my wife Elizabeth. And dream of all dreams, I got to move back into my parents' loft again. But this time, as a 30-something-year-old man with two kids, no health insurance, no job. I'm back into the pit. When I was, when I'd been married almost uh, 10 or 11 years, we, we have this thing where that many couples go through when they've been married around that time, where you finally realize it sinks in, hey, they're not gonna change and be the exact person I want them to be. And they're looking at you and having the same experience and those experiences are colliding together. And then you're making some real decisions about what your life is going to be like and it threw us into the pit again. Last November, in the pit again, as like personal stuff is colliding with vocational stuff, is colliding with COVID, in the pit again. And every single time I've been in the pit, there's something that happens. Every single time. And it it goes something like this. We have this realization over and over again that is what the psalmist writes about in Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. This is what happens every single time. In the pit, we realize Jesus has been with us the whole time. I don't don't know how to describe it, and for those of you who've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. We're like, it's almost as like you're physically there and you turn around and you're like, oh, geez, you were there the whole time. And I just didn't see it. You could see Jesus, but I couldn't. But for you, darkness is as light to you. And Jesus is the great light giver. In the pit, we realize that Jesus was with us the whole time. The good news for us today, brothers and sisters, is in many ways like with the big idea of this text is, and it's this, wait for the Lord, cry out for the Lord, look for the Lord, he will rescue you. You are not strong enough, you are not smart enough, you do not have enough willpower, you cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps to get yourself out, and that is the good news, because salvation is on the way. Let's pray. Father, we receive your love today. Lord, we thank you that there is there's nothing that separates us from the love of God. Death cannot separate us. Trials cannot separate us. 
the past, the present, the future, things behind, things before, heaven, hell, the grave, angels, demons, circumstances, relationships. Nothing will separate us, Lord. We receive your love today. Holy Spirit, would you give us your power, the wisdom that comes from heaven, and the strength that only comes when our weakness meets your power and we truly find strength. Would you speak to your people today? Would you give us the gift of a word to each person in this room? Father, we receive your love today. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.